This is a podcast version of a radio show by K103 Gothenburg Student Radio. Find us at k103.se. Due to copyright, the music is shortened. Yes! It's part two of the uh, Ordinary Observations Christmas Omnibus. Omnibus. We're, we're just running through all the stuff that we never got to in our... Uh, I mean, you've already listened to the first one. You already know what we're doing here. But we're just running through the stuff that we never got to in our earlier... Um, episodes, yeah. Episodes, yeah. Yeah, so we've gone from episode one to episode five in the first part. Now yep. we're up to episode six, which was Unlikely Friendship. Yes. We this went, one I also really enjoyed. I think so. We went pretty deep here on like Kim Jong-un uh, and Dennis Rodman. Yeah, if uh, if you want to know more, just watch, honestly, Dennis Rodman's Big Bang in Pyongyang. That's oh, a, such a good documentary. Fantastic, Goko. Yeah. We talked about them for like 35 minutes, Yeah, uh, which when you like, cut out the songs is 85% of our show, basically. Yeah, we also discussed Ozil and Erdogan, and they're pretty odd friendship, I have to say, considering he's like 25 years older than him. Yeah. As well as Eminem and Elton John. Two great mates. Yep, there are a few goodies in this show of some unlikely friendships that we didn't really get to, Mm -hmm. including, and not exclusively, Xi Jinping and Putin. Yep. And uh, Xi said, he is my best, most intimate friend. No matter what fluctuations there are in the international situation, China and Russia have always firmly taken the development of relationships as a priority. He definitely didn't say it like that. Can you make it more weird, please? Yeah, he definitely didn't say that, though. He is my best, most intimate friend. Chi said. This feels like some like, like erotic fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she whispered into Putin's ear. <laughs> no matter what fluctuations there are in the international situation, China and Russia have always firmly taken the development of relations as a priority. It's like the homoerotic fan fiction with a sprinkle of economics in yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, with uh, just some massive geopolitics <laughs> yeah. at play. Cute bromance, but uh, two pretty average kind of operators ah. Putin's obviously a really bad guy yeah yeah. I, I think she is also a bit dodgy yeah I don't want to alienate our Chinese audience here with uh, Mr. Winnie the Pooh because I don't think they <laughs> and now we lost now him. you've done it <laughs> I don't think they really have an option to whether they like him or not so nope. I guess we're now pandering to the CCP <laughs> pandering good yeah oh yes <laughs> 7.44 in the morning Let's folks and go. he's got okay. a horrible okay. pun in there okay now we've finally established that Putin's not a good guy. No. Nope. And Xi Jinping's probably got some dodgy behaviors as well. Yes. Yeah, so uh, supposedly they're best friends or best, most intimate friend. Most um, intimate because friend. China needs heaps of Russian gas, basically. And yeah. they set up a pipeline. It's like 400 billion euros a year or something like that. Hmm. Because Russia basically can't sell it to the EU anymore. That sounds toxic. That doesn't sound like best, most intimate friend. That yeah. sounds like somebody is pleading to sell gas to China. Yeah, that's a, what do you call it? That's a dependent relationship. Yeah, that's not good. No, there's a, there is a cute video of them, however, cooking pancakes. Yeah. For some reason. It's like in some like meeting they have in like, Siberia or something where they're cooking pancakes awkwardly together. And you can just tell that these guys have like zero experience of cooking anything ever because yeah. they just pour in the batter. And then behind them, there's like two chefs which hold their little frying pan each and yeah. they have no idea what's going it's on. It's pretty bizarre. 
only six months apart in age. Yeah. Putin looks terrible in comparison. Does he? He looks way older. Yeah, I guess so. I guess the diet's quite differently. Fair amount of stress with the whole war. And yeah, stuff. there's a lot of stress going on. There's a lot, lot to think about in his life at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that video of them cooking pancakes is really cute. Like you say, they just they're get, just standing. They there. just get given all the tools, and yeah, they pour the batter in, and then they're like sort of awkwardly scraping at it with the spatula, <laughs> pretending to give a shit pretending to cook <laughs> but it's it's really awkward television you should definitely look that up i would highly recommend i think there's also a video where um putin uh, meets erdogan in in russia and they go to some kind of like russian seaside um town kind of thing like a coastal uh, yeah summer town and uh, there's a really awkward stage where they go and get ice cream and uh, erdogan just like grabs the ice cream and putin's like you have to pay for that you know that oh right <laughs> and it's just like is it not free <laughs> power play <laughs> Alright, there's probably a lot. We could go into Xi Jinping and Putin for ages if we actually had done some research, but that's oh. about it. Do you see Russia's new um, floating nuclear reactors? Oh, I don't really want to see pretty cool. Russia's floating nuclear It's pretty cool, I have to say. It could feature in episode 11. It is a cool technology. Oh. Oh. Kanye West, Donald Trump. Yeah, also a bizarre friendship. But you remember like the, the tweet, thank you Kanye, very cool? From yeah, Donald Trump? Yeah. Mm. I think I got the impression that when, I mean, when they started becoming friends, that Donald Trump really didn't know who he was yeah. and just had to be like, oh, he's a cool guy. Yeah, you know? Some, one of his advisors was like, oh, wait, Kanye? Like, what? Kanye? Ka- Kanye? Kanye retweeted us? Ka- yeah, you know? okay. I was like, okay, we can't fuck this up. No. We and, have to explain to Donald. And who then the- he realizes he's just a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kanye's obviously a very troubled individual these days yeah. also. Uh, but in April 2018, Kanye West sent out a series of tweets expressing admiration for Donald Trump, including that he was his quote brother and they both have quote dragon energy yeah that's deranged i like i like that that's that's sick man you know your mates when you guys both have dragon (laughs) energy but that's like something you say in primary school as a (laughs) six-year-old bro i'm a big dragon kind of guy (laughs) dragon brothers just coming back to the xi jinping and putin for a second though speaking of having dragon energy they can't even speak the same language yeah how can they be his best most Most intimate intimate friend friend. (laughs) I don't know, <laughs> because he also definitely didn't say, no matter what fluctuations there are in the international situation. No, he didn't. Yeah, he just I mean, said, like, yeah, it's pretty cool that we get cheap gas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they Keep just, it coming. They just mistranslated it, and Putin's like, what, what a sick guy. We've got some real dragon energy. Yeah, <laughs> dragon energy. Uh, also, uh, Kanye West <laughs> said about Donald Trump, one of the main reasons I wore the red, you know, MAGA hat, mm. as a protest to the segregation of votes in the black community. Also, other than the fact that I like Trump, hotels, and the saxophones in the lobby, that's also bizarre to remember that thing. Oh, but again, uh, Kanye West is a pretty odd operator. Yeah. Let's pause there for a moment. Yeah. I've got a lovely, lovely, refreshing story to come after. So that doesn't involve any sort of war criminals or any sort of... Deranged people. Yeah. Any... Yeah. This one's pretty. So, first we'll uh, listen to Mondo Diao's Get Down, Mm -hmm. and we'll see you in a minute. Polygon Duanaland is the music show where we explore a new genre, feeling, or style of music in each episode. Join me on a musical journey where you might be able to hear something you've never heard before. Tune in Fridays at 8pm on K103.
Yes, that was Mondo Dial's Get Down. This is Ordinary Observations. We're going through the strange friends again. Yeah. And I wanted to do a cute one just to sort of cleanse the palate a little bit after of, talking war criminals and dragon energy. That kind of thing. So, Bubbles the Elephant and Bella the Black Labrador. Yep. Yep. Bubbles is an African elephant adopted by Myrtle Beach Safari in 1983 after she became an orphan due to ivory poaching. I said it would be nice and cute and refreshing, but that's not particularly nice or cute or refreshing. No, you've... Not a good start. <laughs> uh, but Bella the Black Lab was abandoned by a contractor as a puppy in 2007. Sad. Yeah. The two unlikely companions became best friends, bonding over a love of swimming in the pool and on the river in the reserve. That's very cute. That is very cute. There are some great videos you can check out on YouTube. The two love to splash around together. Bella likes to climb onto Bubbles' back and use her as a diving board. Bubbles likes to suck water into her trunk and blow it out at Bella. That's cute. Splashing her. Uh, It's an incredibly cute friendship that I thought, again, would cleanse the palate with a little bit. After talking about the other very complicated, at times problematic at many times problematic. Oh. At many times very problematic people. Awful people. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, um, if Bella was born in 2007, she is almost certainly dead by now, and Bubbles must be close if she's not already dead. I really... Yeah, that, that's a bit miserable. Yeah, but sorry gonna, about that. But... I was going to say, I really love like obscure animal friendships mm. where it's like really two crazy different yeah, animals yeah. and they just love each other. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the rhino that befriends a cheetah and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, That was episode six. Yeah. Episode 7 is where we get all things needle on. Yes, (laughs) being Dutch and behaving badly. Yes, shout out again to all the Dutch listeners and all Dutch people in general. This is actually our most popular episode besides the first one. Yeah, I mean, this first one's hard to count because when people discover the show, they go to that one first, right? Yeah. But yeah, people seem to be into the Dutch misbehavior. Yep. Uh, We featured our very, very, very tall flying Dutchman, Mm. Ryan. How tall is Ryan? Uh, Ryan is 199. That's tall. That is tall. Wow. Imagine if you're then short for a Dutch person. No, he's uh, definitely not. But Yeah. Uh, so we did have Ryan the Flying Dutchman to explain uh, to us Johan de Witt's unfortunate demise and what the man could have possibly tasted like. Yes, Johan de Witt uh, uh, came to a horrible end where he was just eaten. Yeah. We uh, talked... Uh, Palingo Proor, the, the eel pulling riots. We talked... Football hooliganism. The Battle of Bavervike. Bavervike. You love Bavervike. I love Bavervike. We talked potato rioting. Yeah. And we also did discuss the Project X We did talk Harlem, about that. Where people love the Facebook parties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think actually that, that covers up everything we wanted to talk about the yeah. Netherlands. I, I did want to bring this up, though. I, I have a theory about the fact that people from the Netherlands are so tall. Oh. Why, why do all the tallest people come from the flattest countries, i.e., the Netherlands are the tallest population in the world, right? Mm. I looked this up the other day. Number two is Latvia. Number three is Estonia. Number four is Denmark. What do all these countries have in common? No mountains, no hills even. They're, they're flat. Yeah. Not many hills. So the people had to evolve to become tall so they could see predators from a long distance away. Isn't it the same like in uh, in like Kenya where it's like very flat apart from like yeah. Mount Kilimanjaro and then they jump up so they can see far? Yeah. That, that's definitely why we learned to walk on our back legs so we could see predators, right? Yeah. Instead of all fours like... Apes. Well, yeah, sort oh. of like, I mean, you still... Chimpanzees and gorillas can walk on their two feet, but they're still over on all four most of the time. Oh. But um, yeah, so that's my theory. And before anybody comes from my geographic knowledge of Latvia and Estonia, I must admit it's not that great. But I did look up these countries and their respective peaks. The Netherlands, Val Saberti, 322 meters high. Or well, how do you say that in Dutch? 
Valsberg. Valsberg. <laughs> 322 meters is not very much. No. Latvia, the Geising, 312 meters above sea level. Not a whole lot. Estonia, try to say that, mate. Sir Manamagi. Manamagi. <laughs> I apologize to all the Estonian listeners out there. Ah. Uh, but that's only 318 meters. Yeah, and then Denmark, Mullahoe. Oh, this is fucking embarrassing. Honestly. 170 meters, that's a hill. That's not much at all. This is a 20 minute walk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yep, yeah, all these countries are pretty flat. All the people are very tall. Yep. That's my theory. Yep. It, it, it might genuinely be just accepted. Scientific fact, I wouldn't even I know. Mean, sounds all right, yeah. Sounds kind of pompous to say that about my own theory. Well, actually, it's kind of correct. It's actually <laughs> probably a scientific fact, and I just haven't checked it. I've come up with that myself. We uh, do plan some more country episodes soon. Yeah. yeah. So if you want us to offend anybody from any particular country, just please. Just let us know. Let us know. And we will. We're actually quite happy to. Yeah. Uh, happy and we, to... we will also try and find someone from there to <laughs> just to like. Fact check. Now we won't. Ah, fact checking. I mean, no, we kind just, of we just carry on. Mate, episode eight was ghost stories. Yeah, that's when we were joined by the Halloween historian Dr. Anton, his mm-hmm. first uh, feature on the show. Yes. That wasn't entirely planned. No, just... it wasn't really planned that he was going to join. He just sent a message to the group chat, right? He's like, yeah, anyone want to have beers? Like, oh, Anybody can't, thirsty? Can't really, but uh, if you want to join the radio, then definitely. Yeah, we usually enjoy a can of beer before we go and, and record our show, so Anton joined us for that. And then he, he stuck around to join us on the show. Yep. And uh, oh, we might see him back a little bit after the Christmas break. Yeah, we might indeed. We uh, discussed the Bell Witch in this episode. At length. Yeah, indeed. I love the Bell Witch, though. Yeah, great. She was uh, We talked about based. the Flying Dutchman. Not thine. The real one. Mm. And uh, we talked about some creepy death row inmates and their last meal requests. Yeah. Did we talk about the haunted Playboy Mansion? Yeah, yeah, we did. Okay, about uh, the original people who died in there. Okay, great. Then I think we covered all the ghost story stuff we wanted to talk about. Yeah, uh, song. Yeah, Lloyd Groot Groot Groot. Hi, this is Lionel Richie, and you're listening to my favorite radio station. Hell yeah, Lionel Richie. Uh, uh, I like how he doesn't even specify what no. the radio station is. <laughs> yes, we're now up to episode nine where we discuss rugby controversies and conspiracies. This was the rugby conspiracies episode. Mm. This is where we discussed Bloodgate. We discussed the illness that swept through the All Blacks camp before the 1995 World Cup final. We also discussed Camp Staldrad, which is the only time we featured a, like, a warning before talking about something, actually. Yeah, that wasn't so flash. And uh, we also went through a bit of Paddy Power and Tonga at the 2007 World Cup. Mm-hmm. Then we ended off with a big old laundry list of some weird and complex characters of the rugby world. Yep, there's plenty There's plenty of those kind of characters of the rugby world. Shout out Will, Willie Love. I did actually oh. get the prediction of Will for forward of the yes. year. Yes. I have no idea if I said it on the episode, but uh, I wrote it down. Good on you, mate. One more controversy we didn't really touch on. No. The Simbas and the COVID Cup. Mm-hmm. Three-time Rugby Vest Super 10s champions Jotteborg Simbas accused of having the guy that arranges the whole competition in their team. Uh, shout out the legend of the game, Dr. Charles Keeling. Yeah, I feel like adding shout outs is also going to add to the controversy. Yeah, it, it doesn't g- help. It gives real backbone to that theory. Yeah. Every year the Super 10s is hosted as a round-robin event, right? Yeah. Hosted over seven or eight weekends. Teams that have participated in the past include Vanish Body. Ross, Udvala, Oslo Blinden, Kalmar, Spartacus, West Coast Masters, Halmstad, and of course, the mighty Simbas. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, the matches are held around uh, Vestre Jutland region uh, throughout the season, over the summer basically. 
And I've even been held in Norway this year for the first time. What a privilege traveling around this great region, plying our trade, playing the game we love to large crowds of adoring fans. Indeed, mate. Indeed. That's spot on. Yeah. Essentially, the debate of the matter boils down to the fact that Jotterborg Simbas are the only club able to consistently field a team of 10 players. This, of course, leads to the Simbas getting consistent wins, consistent points, and ultimately hands back on the cup. Oh, where it belongs, mate. Yeah, yeah. That cup belongs in the Simbas. Mate, that's not leaving that fucking trophy room. Yeah, uh, also... That's getting its, its yearly trip down Andrew Longata. Yeah. Uh, the COVID cup, it's been called due to the fact we all caught COVID from it when sharing some beers a couple of years ago. Yep. It's featured some pretty gnarly beers, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's all there really is to it. Shout out Pierre Eric, the smoothest operator. Very smooth operator. Should we go straight into episode 10? Uh, we should. Yep. Animals where they shouldn't be. Yeah, this was... I like this episode too. <laughs> we recounted the adventures of Wojtek, the Syrian brown bear who became enlisted in the Polish army during World War II. Mm. We drove into the tank with Tilikum, the individual orca responsible for 75% of all human deaths attributed to killer whales. Yep. We measured out how much cocaine Pablo Escobar could fit up a hippo's nose. Yep. And we blasted off with Laika, the Soviet space dog, famous for being the first vertebrate to orbit planet Earth. Mutnik. Oh, yeah, we don't have too much left over from that, but buff as fuck kangaroos. Yeah, I love videos yeah. of kangaroos. I put this question out, like, give us some examples of animals where they shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, and nobody did that, but they were like, I want to know why kangaroos get so fucking buff. I still don't know. Uh, essentially, it comes down to the fact that kangaroos have huge hearts, bro. Hell yeah, they can pump a lot of blood. Pumps mad oxygen around the body so their muscles grow big. They also have loads of mitochondria. The powerhouse of the cell. Anyone who's ever been to school will know that. I know you, yeah. Uh, Which are necessary for muscle growth. They do love a good fight, though. They love a scrap. Boxing. Oh, yeah. But uh, cute that kangaroos have such huge hearts. Yeah. The same reason they're so buff makes them so capable of love. That's nice. That's a nice way to end that. Yep. Episode 11 was Nuclear Mistakes. Shout out Anton again. He was he joined for this one yeah, too. Yeah, he did. And uh, also shout out Balash. See ya, Balash. A Hungarian listener. He also studied nuclear engineering. I think that's important. That's pretty nerdy shit, to be fair. Well, he definitely knows what, <laughs> what this shit is about. Mm. Um, Let's uh, back it up with... Fuck, I can't pronounce this, mate. Gabs, Tsinat, Tio. Fleck free. K103 is your radio station. Merry Christmas from Ordinary Observations. We are on our Christmas special part two. We're on to our episode 11, Nuclear Mistakes. Yeah, we didn't get to David Hahn, the nuclear or the radioactive Boy Scout. Sorry, yeah. I wanted to talk about this dude. Go born, for it. Born in 1976 in Michigan. David Hahn was a gifted student with a passion for science particularly chemistry. Uh, he was gifted a chemistry kit as a child and started running experiments in his bedroom. Ah, that can't have been good. <laughs> ah, maybe. Well, he's a gifted child. Huh. Eventually, his experiments outgrew his bedroom and his parents made him move down to the basement. By the age of 14, he had apparently fabricated nitroglycerin. Spicy stuff. How the fuck did he do that you know 14 what? years I old? I don't know. But you know nitroglycerin is the explosive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, please don't make that in it's your bedroom. Not, it's not the kind of thing a 14-year-old should be in possession of. Oh. 
Now, not many Eagle Scouts bothered to get the Atomic Energy Merit Badge. You know how American scouting, you get all these little badges for doing different yeah, stuff. Yeah, little patches. Yeah, obviously, it's only the fucking nerds that want to get the Atomic Energy one. Oh, but I imagine that badge looks sick. It, does, yeah. it does. I looked it up. <laughs> uh, David was, of course, one of them that got this badge. A little nerd. Now, he told his mum that we can't keep burning coal forever in, in terms of energy, yeah. energy sources, and that we needed to utilize nuclear power to make up for the energy deficit. So, he planned to build a breeder reactor in his mum's garden shed. That's so unhinged, but yeah. Green King, Green David Hahn. Exactly. <laughs> Saving us. Yeah, before his time. This was the mid-90s, of course. The good days. Basically, David just called up the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and they clarified the answers to some questions David had about constructing reactors and acquiring the necessary chemicals. Uh, he had a fake backstory that he was a professor at some university. How do you do, fellow scientists? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a bit like that, like, yeah. hello, yes, I'm a professor at... Uh, I'm not 14. <laughs> yes, uh, where can I buy some uranium? <laughs> kind of something like that. So they just gave him all the information he needed, no questions asked. You know, That's so, so messy. The kind of thing you'd get put on a list, a watch list for yeah. nowadays, but... The deal with a breeder reactor is that it uses uranium-238 and thorium, which is more readily accessible than the isotope of uranium used in conventional nuclear reactors. So he bought the stuff he could and managed to salvage some stuff from household objects as well. He collected thorium from lanterns, radium from clocks. Shout out radium girls. Yep. It's from, again, the radium from the... The watches that they're making. Exactly. Yeah. The glow-in-the-dark paint. Mm, mm. He collected some tritium from gun sites. Now, his reactor was a bored-out block of lead, and he used lithium from about a 1000 bucks worth of purchased batteries to purify the thorium ash using a Bunsen burner. That's insane. Obviously, this is all getting very out of, like, out of control. I don't know what's happening. Oh, yeah. Some advanced chemistry is going on, but you get the idea when you start talking about heavy metals, like those kind of things. He used pickle jars and coffee filters to handle the dangerous chemicals. Oh, at least he was safe about it. I don't think that's quite going to cut it, Brent. OSHA violation. He, he also had a pair of safety glasses, but that's about it. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think OSHA would have had a, a couple <laughs> things to say about this. He never completed the reactor, but he did create a functioning neutron source, which is a very important component of a reactor, and it did emit radiation, approximately a thousand times greater than that of normal background radiation. He could measure it a few doors down his street. Imagine, like, the neighbors, like, which brat of a kid is creating the reactor in the garden? Yeah. So this freaked David out a little bit when he realized he was starting to radiate the, the neighborhood. He decided to dismantle his neutron source. He was loading some parts of it into his car late at night when his neighbor called the police, thinking he was a thief. Now, obviously, he was not a thief for stealing his own stuff, but the cops still wanted to check his car. You I know? mean, it's still dodgy, yeah. Yeah, he, he gave them the old, oh, no, don't open the car. It's, it's radioactive in there, kind of. Yeah, the cops be like, ha, sure, buddy. You're 15. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... They did open his car, and <laughs> the cops yeah, realized there was some pretty strange shit going on in there. Then they went to check out the garden shed, and then they called the feds when they realized there was actually some radioactive shit going and it on. it all gets really fuzzy. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you start taking pictures, and yeah. it's like... Fuzz, 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 yeah. fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, David, David's mum's house was designated a hazardous materials cleanup site. His mum was afraid, however, that if they found a load of stuff... She would, would lose the house. Yeah, she would lose the house. So she just threw some of it away herself first. That's unhinged. Into the just regular trash, you know, before the actual hazmat. Just spreading it. Yeah. Hazmat guys can arrive and yeah. deal with it safely. Yeah. She was like, oh, shit, I got to hide get, it. Get rid of it, get rid of it. Yeah, so that's that's sort of the story of the, the nuclear Boy Scout. Unfortunately, David Hunt actually died in 20... 
something. He was 35 or something like that. Hmm. He went to prison for some time. and I he, can imagine. He, he, a bit of a harsh life. So rest in peace to that dude. It's oh. a bit of a sad ending to a, a kind of a cool story, to be honest kind with of you. Kind of sad. He's just passionate about science, but took it a little bit too far. Yeah, I mean, he, he could have got a good job somewhere later on in life. Oh. But that's uh, David Hahn, the Nuclear Boy Scout. Yep. Episode 12? Episode 12. This was Miraculous Stories of Survival, also with uh, Dr. Anton. Mm. We had to cut out the Juliana Kupka story a little bit at the end. Mm. Also, apparently, I said the name completely wrong, and people didn't really know who it was. Oh, well. Apologies to the listeners that we had to cut this story. Mm. Also, apologies to Juliana herself. I'm sure she's listening. I've been in contact with her a little bit, and she said she liked the show. Thank God we have the Christmas omnibus then. Yes. Do you want to do a quick recap? Yeah, so she was on a plane after her school graduation in Peru with both of her parents, German-Peruvian girl, 17 years old. She The plane got hit by lightning, and she fell 3,000 meters deep into the Amazon rainforest. Yes. And she's survived now 10 days of surviving in the forest. She mm. came around the bend in the river to see a small fishing hut. Mm-hmm. There she found some gasoline, which she poured over a shoulder wound, if you remember that was now infested with maggots. We mm. discussed that a little bit. She slept the night in the fishing shack and was awoken the next morning by three fishermen's voices. They were startled when she came running out of the hut. They thought that perhaps she was some kind of ghost because she was white, blonde-haired girl, starving, comes running out of your fishing hut deep in the Peruvian rainforest. Yeah, but that, that's terrifying. It's not the kind of thing you come to expect. No. However, she'd also learned to speak Spanish as a child. Pretty useful in this scenario. Mm. So she could communicate where she'd come from and they put her in the boat and took her back to safety. It is, of course, a mystery how she survived the fall. A strong updraft of wind and very thick canopy cover helped to slow her descent down. It's believed that 14 others survived the fall initially, though perished in the forest. So mm. it's, it's crazy that she survived both of the things. Yeah. Juliana's uh, mother, Maria, was found a couple weeks later, and the aircraft company went bankrupt less than a month later. This mm. was this terrible aircraft by Lockheed Martin. Yeah. Everyone was dying from it. Everyone was dying from that. Pretty amazing. Amazing how the updraft can really slow you down that much. Yeah. Must have been fucking... Same with the canopy as well. Some strong updraft. You want to take us through some honorable mentions? Yeah, honorable mentions are Harrison Okini. After his ship, the Jackson 4, capsized and sunk 12 miles off the Nigerian coast. This Nigerian sailor survived for like three days in an air bubble, upside down, submerged boat. Yeah. That's grim. Experts were amazed that he survived the water depths. Barely even experienced divers would struggle navigating down there. When they found him, they took pictures of him. First thing they did. There is a fantastic picture of him, and maybe he's grateful of that now, that he's got that sort of proof of of the strength that he went through and how he survived and stuff. But I imagine in the moment, you've been stuck in a very small air pocket in a capsized boat for three days, freezing water as well by that point, and just like the relief of a diver coming in to save you, and then he's like, all right, bro, just hold still. Just got to take a picture, mate. Just like, <laughs> fucking. Please don't. <laughs> you would be like, just oh, make this end, you know? Oh, another honorable shout out. Anatoly Bogoski, yeah. Russian physicist, mm. stuck his head inside a particle accelerator and had half his face struck by a particle beam. Yeah, so I think this, really, this is a real nice uh, merging of the last two. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. He said he saw a light a thousand times brighter than the sun, but didn't feel any pain. I mean, half of his face swelled up beyond recognition at the time, but it eventually receded back to normal. Besides losing hearing in his left ear, he suffered no other side effects. Scientists say that the fact that he even survived at all was a miracle. The takeaway learning from there is don't put your face into particle accelerators. Yeah, but you'll be alright. If you do, just get lucky, basically. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty cool. Aaron Ralston. I think we did touch on this, actually. Did we? Yeah, 127 hours. Yeah, exactly. Cut yeah. his own arm off. Yeah. 
Yeah. Grim. Yeah. Uh, Ricky McGee. He got extremely lost in the Australian outback in only 2006 and managed to survive 71 days there before being found by a farmer who was driving past. What the fuck? Yeah. I haven't heard about that. Mental guy. But Take a pause. Yeah, we can break her up. We can break her up. Sleater Kinney, hell. Det onormala normala med mig Mia Svensson. Podcasten där du får ta del av mina tankar och känslor kring allt och ingenting. Lyssna både på engelska och svenska där poddar finns eller på k103.se. Har du en idé eller en åsikt? Följ mig på Instagram. Det onormala normala. Yes, it's Ordinary Observations on K103. We're talking Christmas Omnibus. We've been running through all the stuff that we never got to uh, in our previous episodes, and we're getting close to the end now. We're on to... Miraculous Stories of Survival. And we're on to... Aimo Koivonen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that's how you say it. Okay, it's 1944, deep into the Second World War, and Finland has been trying to protect their country from both the Soviet Union and Germany for multiple years now and large chunks of the country's eastern borders have been taken over by the Soviet forces. The original start of this was the Winter War, which began in 1939 when the Soviet Union invaded Finland and tried to take over the whole country, but it didn't work out as planned. The Finnish resistance was extremely strong and Finland was more prepared for winter combat than the Soviet troops were. This involved a lot of hit-and-run tactics on skis, which is pretty cool. The original war lasted three months and Finland had to give up 11% of its territory as part of the agreement. I mean, kind of no shit that... It's their country. Of course, they know it better. And of course, they're just more prepared. Yeah. <laughs> Still, though, as World War II carried on, the fighting continued and the Soviets pushed further and further into Finland. This is where our boy Aimo Koivonen comes in. Aimo mm-hmm. Koivonen and other Finnish soldiers were assigned to ski patrol on March 18th, 1944, a long distance patrol in isolated and harsh environments. We're talking meters of snow here and minus 20 degrees. Three days into their patrol, they were attacked by the Soviets. Kind of a scouting mission, I imagine, something yeah, like that. sure. Now, it should be noted that, before we continue this story, that amphetamines and methamphetamines were commonplace in World War II. Oh, yeah. A known effect of methamphetamine is increased energy focus and reduction in fatigue. During mm-hmm. World War II, the long and constant combat was physically and mentally straining on the soldiers, and it also brought the company's morale down a lot. So methamphetamine solved almost all of these problems. It could all be so simple. Yeah, if we just had some more meth. And uh, this is insane, to be honest. High-ranking officials saw thousands of blokes with intense PTSD and decided meth was the answer. Oh, yeah. There's only one solution to this. (laughs) The meth diet for us, boys. Mm -hmm. One of the most common forms of methamphetamine that was, quote-unquote, prescribed to the soldiers was called pervitin pills which were essentially crystal meth tablets now exhausted soldiers on the brink of collapse would take one or two pervitin pills and be energized again the soldiers would have been incredibly addicted to these right so back to the story coven and ski patrol had just been attacked by the soviets in a desperate attempt to escape with their lives the finnish soldiers followed coven through the winter forests Each of the men in the patrol had different supplies. Aimo Koivinen had the entire patrol's supply of pervitin pills, mm-hmm. which was around 30 tablets. As he became tired and the Soviet soldiers kept pursuing them, Koivinen decided to take one of the pills to force himself on through the forest. <laughs> he, however, <laughs> he could not stop to open the bottle and couldn't really grab a single pill due to his mittens being so thick and without like any dexterity yeah. and heavy for the colder climates of eastern Finland. So instead pulled out the craziest move in the book. 
the batshit option, <laughs> to be honest. The, the nuclear shit, option. Yeah, the nuclear option. He poured the entire pill bottle into his mouth. <laughs> now, remember that one or, or maybe even two pills were more than enough for one person to be awake for 24 hours at a time. And Imo had just taken 30. Mm-hmm. So your main thought, he would have an immediate overdose and die. But yeah. somehow he didn't. Okay. Yeah, he stayed on the skis and carried on going. A real miracle of survival, I'd yeah. say. At some point, he is completely unconscious and still on the skis. And when he wakes up, he's traveled 100 kilometers further than where he was initially. And all of the men in his unit were missing and all the supplies were gone. So this is some insane sleepwalking. To to ski 100 kilometers would take you... Days. A couple days at least. Yeah. And uh, still extremely high on meth, Koivinen saw a camp he assumed were Finnish soldiers and went over to the men. He realized that they were Russians and took off while completely out of his mind into the wilderness at full speed. This man really doesn't get any kind of break at all here. Comically unlucky. Yeah. He then uh, mistook the North Star, which he was following, for the lights from a cabin and tried to ski towards it. He traveled blindly until he stumbled across an abandoned German camp. As he was leaving... Koivinen skied over a landmine, which detonated. His right foot blown completely open was just a bloody flesh stump. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, that's awful. He then dragged his body into a ditch and waited for help. It was minus 25 degrees Celsius at the time, and no one was coming to look for him because it's also abandoned. Mm. He apparently survived off eating snow and pine cones, which sounds horribly miserable, especially miserable when your foot is completely blown open. Yeah, that doesn't sound any good. Yeah, he stayed in this ditch for over a week in this condition and also also just ate a bird raw. <laughs> just He wanted to add that in. Yeah. When uh, he eventually discovered that no one was coming to look for him, he got back onto his skis with one of his foot blown open and uh, carried on until he was eventually found by Finnish soldiers lying in the snow and talking to himself. <laughs> He apparently had crazy dreams, he recalls. Apparently, he woke up one day frantically stabbing a tree because he thought it was a wolf. Poor guy. Yeah. By the time he was found, he had been missing for two weeks and in this time had traveled 400 kilometers Holy. on his skis. When he was taken to the hospital, his heartbeat measured 200 BPM. Normal humans have between 60 and 80 resting, like normal, uh, normal heartbeat. And he weighed 43 kilos. Doctors were shocked what? that he was even alive. Let alone what had happened. He had he must That's, have lost half his body weight or something. To travel 400, 400 kilometers. To weigh 43 kgs. And to have a beating heart rate of 200, 200 beats per minute. <laughs> None of those things add up. No. <laughs> let alone all of them together. All at once, yeah. Uh, miraculously, he returned to Finland and recovered to completely full health, which is also wild. Mm. And he died in 1989 at the age of 71. So yeah. he lived for some time after yeah. that. Yeah, that surprises me. You think you'd have some serious effects. Yeah. What a mad life. Fucking crazy shit, man. Crazy (sighs) shit. They don't make them like that anymore. Nope. You want to go to Peter? Yeah, we'll do Peter Quill, buddy. A little bit less cool, but incredible nonetheless. Yeah. Peter Quill, buddy, uh, was a 44-year-old Swedish man who was found barely alive after being stuck in his car, buried under snow for two months. That's a long time. That is long. (laughs) So all this played out near Umeå in 2012, northern Sweden. Yeah, it's in the north. He became stuck in snowdrifts on a forestry road on December 19th. It wasn't until the 20th of February when two guys on snowmobiles stopped to check the car out that he was found. Uh, he was emaciated and barely able to speak. So it was exactly two months he was in there, basically. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Wrapped up in his sleeping bag on the back seat of the car. He also had hypothermia, of course, and was taken, taken immediately to hospital. 
Emaciated is really grim. It's one of the least comfortable ways to describe a human body, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same with this IMO guy. He's yeah. definitely emaciated. Yeah. Just wasting away, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. According to Torbjörn, the policeman at first at the scene, Peter was only skin and bone left. He believes that even a day longer and he would have died. With the absolute last of his energy, he crawled forward and out of the car door, wearing only trousers and a shirt. And they were like, fuck, we got to get this guy to hospital. He's going to die. Yeah. yeah. So there was a few food wrappers and shit lying around in the car, but whatever was in them would have not lasted particularly long. Yeah, to eat, yeah. Yeah. Peter claimed to have been only eating snow since his food ran out sometime in December. Yeah, he went with the IMO method. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't think you're supposed to eat snow in survival situations. It's not good for you. I... No, especially not the yellow snow. No. No. So people who regularly passed by, however, say the car was... It was covered in snow, but not drastically so that you couldn't open the door. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, like, ah, buried like, in like snow. Like he wasn't trapped. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that confusion odd, about this whole story. <laughs> it raises a few questions about what was going on, to say the least. No. Uh, at some points during the two months that Peter was in his car, the temperature was as low as negative 30 degrees. It's brutal. In the pictures, you can see the whole inside of the car is frosted to hell. There's a layer of ice on everything. Oh man, that's so grim. His gas had obviously long since run out. He'd been using it to run the motor a little bit to have the heater on. Again, that would have lasted, you know. Two days yeah, before the battery yeah. runs out as well. How he how survived, this is a mystery. Experts suggest that the layer of snow over the car would have trapped his heat in to prevent from chilling winds. Uh, this is the igloo effect. He also had a sleeping bag and other warm clothes with him, but... It doesn't make sense though. Yeah, it'll keep you warm, but it's not going to keep you alive in negative 30 degrees, For right? 60 days. This alone, however, still doesn't explain how he could possibly survive such cold temps for so long. So, doctors couldn't make sense of how he possibly survived this. At least one expert suggested that maybe his body went into a state of hibernation, like a beer does. Uh, I guess he kind of just went in and out of consciousness. Well, yeah, if his metabolism slows right down and he's just like asleep. This, of course, would make sense if humans could hibernate. Yeah. I don't believe we can. (laughs) But, But then, I'm not an expert either, so... I'll leave that caveat there. This is where we get to the confusing part here. But police initially thought he was a nature lover who went out to take some pictures of moose and then got stuck and buried. However, the plot thickens a little bit. Turns out he had been found liable for a court to pay debts of almost 2 million Swedish krona. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. Neighbors said he had also recently separated from his girlfriend and he had been estranged from his family. He had not had contact with them for 20 years or so. This doesn't sound good. No, so it's a, it's a pretty fair guess to say he was quite depressed and uh, perhaps re- ready for it to be over. Oh. It was sort of hard to get a cohesive picture of what really happened here, but it doesn't seem like his car was ever covered in so much snow that he was like trapped in it. Yeah, because so. they didn't find any kind of evidence that he tried to get out. Right? Yeah, they think he sort of just gave up, which is very sad. Very depressing. Of course, good that he survived. Hope he got the help he needed in the end. Despite the motives or the accident or whatever behind it, though, to survive two months without food in a car is pretty fucking incredible. Mm. So it's impossible to find any details on how his recovery went or what happened to him afterwards. But I hope he is doing well. Yeah. Let's wrap up the episode on survival Yep. with another tune. And then we've got the last little bit to get through. Yes. And we're done with the Christmas omnibus. This next song is Jaeger, Jaguar. No clue about the EU? Then it's high time you listen to your monthly dose of Europe, a Brempunkt Europa podcast. 
One episode per month with interesting experts bringing you all the facts and figures about European politics and the EU. You'll find us on Spotify, iTunes and Mixcloud. Yes, it's Ordinary Observations, the Christmas special. We just finished uh, episode 12, where we added on to our um, miraculous stories of survival. Let's wrap it up, mate. Yep. The very latest episode we had was episode 13. Yes. The live day special. Exactly. Shout out to my boss, Mia, who says this was her favorite episode so far, uh, despite only having listened to half of it. So yeah. her, her opinion on that might change. Yeah. This was, uh, of course, the strange diets mm. where but, we discussed a bit of Steve Jobs, a yeah. bit of Monsieur Mange too, who yeah. ate everything. And was that Morgan Stanlock? Stan- Spurlock. Spurlock. Supersize me. Create all the Maccas for him. <laughs> the only thing we missed out here was the meth diet. Yeah, as Imo says, as Imo shows, sorry, it's yeah. a flawless plan. It's, it's a flawless plan indeed. Uh, that's a good way to say it, mate. Nothing can go wrong. Meth raises your heart rate, which in turn increases your metabolism. Yep. Uh, at the same time, you lose interest in eating because your body only craves more crack. Yeah. Food is not as good, so your stomach shrinks up and you don't feel hunger so much. Yep. What a, what a good plan. Simple. Simple. Yep. In one uh, study that I read about, houseflies were given meth. Now, this begs the question, why? (laughs) I love when they do these things. We gave rats cocaine. But why? (laughs) Uh, So anyway, these houseflies were given some meth. Their activity raised by about 100%, but their calorific intake decreased by about 80%. I see nothing wrong with this plan. (laughs) I'm sure your productivity also raises incredibly. Yeah, it actually does if you'd use it in the right way. Oh, yeah. I.e. being a Finnish soldier. Yeah. Now, you can see why this is so effective. Yeah. And that's well, that's the whole argument I've yeah, got for you, essentially. There's nothing wrong with the old meth diet. Are we advocating for kids to get on crack? Well, we are trying to increase the under-18s following of the show. So yeah. Yeah, maybe. Oh, is this irresponsible of us? Yeah, don't do crack, Can we kids. say, we'll <laughs> cut this part out, but yeah, I mean, obviously, this is all said in, in sarcasm and, and irony, right? Yeah, please, please do not try meth. Don't indulge in any sort of class A narcotics. <laughs> no. And, uh, it's what the boring people would say, but we're the boring people. Yeah, so. we've, we've got to draw a line. Here. All right, mate. Closing shout-outs. Yes. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Yep. Thank you for listening yep. to uh, ordinary, ordinary Christmas stivations. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for all your support over the last couple of months when we've been you know, starting this up. We hope to continue after the new year. Yep. Have fun time spending it with all your family and that stuff. Yep. Shout out to your grandparents increasing that 65 plus on Spotify. Yep. Definitely make sure to share with your younger siblings. Yeah. Now that we've just talked about methamphetamines. Yep. And uh, enjoy Christmas. Can't wait for the new year to see what some more episodes bring. Absolutely. All right. Take it easy. Good night. Or good morning. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) What? You fucked it up now, Mark. <laughs> You've just heard a podcast version of a radio show by K103 Gothenburg Student Radio. You'll find all our shows at k103.se. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Stay tuned.